You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our charity champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. On this episode, the Advocacy Center for Crime Victims and Children. The small child that looked up to me with a badly bruised and swollen face and said, the bad man hurt me. There are things like that that you just can't get out of your mind. And the only thing to do is to help. Executive Director Barbara Wright tells us about the center's mission to help victims of abuse become survivors. People are just feeling more comfortable coming forward and talking about what has happened to them. And now, let's get to know our champion. Welcome to the podcast, Barbara. Can you kind of introduce yourself to us for those who may not know you? I'm Barbara Wright, and I'm the Executive Director at the Advocacy Center for Crime Victims and Children. And what is the Advocacy Center? We actually began in 1976 as the Waco Rape Crisis Center. And over the years, we've added more programs and services so that now we serve all victims of crime. Can you kind of describe some of the things that you guys do? Yes, I can. We have three main programs at the agency. We have a Children's Advocacy Center. And this is for children 17 and under who have made an outcry of abuse or neglect or if uh, abuse is suspected. And they come into our agency and we do forensic interviews of these children. And we gather information that law enforcement can use for the prosecution of child abuse cases. The Children's Advocacy Center also offers parenting classes for non-offending parents And we do medical examinations of children that we feel that they might have been sexually assaulted. And then our second program is the Victim Center. They have, through the Victim Center, we offer case management and counseling. We have the Sexual Assault Nurse Examiners Program. These are nurses that go to the hospitals here in Waco when there is a sexual assault exam that needs to be done. We have volunteer advocates that go to the hospital as well. They stay with that that victim through the entire process. And then we also have a prevention and education program. And these are staff that go into schools, universities, businesses, and try to change the attitudes, the beliefs, the behaviors that tend to lead to sexual violence. So it sounds like the first part of the program is immediate help. And the second stage is support of the victims. And then the third stage is is prevention. Is that correct? Exactly. We encourage everyone that has gone through uh, any type of victimization to come to us for counseling. And they may not want to do that at this time, or they may decide later on down the road that they want to come back. We do serve six counties in Central Texas, and all of our services are free. And any time, even an adult that has been sexually assaulted as a child... If they start feeling issues, having problems, they can come to us for counseling. And so what are the kind of people that come to you? Can you kind of describe them? Last year in the state of Texas, over 400,000 Texans were sexually assaulted. And these Hmm. are adults. And it was two-thirds women, one-third men. So we get 
victims of sexual assault. We also get uh, a lot of child abuse cases. And when a child abuse case comes in, they're they come to us by the police. They, we don't just get those. They're referred to us. Not only do we treat the child, but we treat the parents or we offer our services for them if they want to accept them. So then they would have the counseling services in the victim center. And a case management, you know, that's, a, that's sort of a word that's thrown around a lot, but our case managers make sure that those children and those families get all the services that they should have. And if they need to go to court for trial, our case managers or advocates will go with them and be there through that process. They might go to a doctor's appointment with them. They're at the hospital. And they're recommending different services that we might not be able to offer. They also help victims to complete crime victim compensation paperwork. So I know it's really important for these victims to have somebody to walk them through the process. Why is that? When one has been victimized, you tend to feel all alone. There's no one there with you. You you don't have a support system. And even if you do, you feel isolated. So that's what we do. We try to work with these survivors so that they'll know they're not alone. We walk with them through the entire process. And we like to think that they may come into our agency a victim but they're going to walk out a survivor. And we're there for them that entire process. I would also think that it'd be difficult to know how to deal with this. We're given instruction on so much of our life, but how do you deal with a situation like that? Staff is trained to do this. We, um, they go to trainings continuously. Our therapists are trained in various forms of counseling. And once they talk with a victim, then they decide what's best for that person, what type of therapy they will benefit from the most. It's just something, it's, it's a passion. You hate what you're seeing, it hurts your heart, but you want to be there to help them. If you run into somebody who's like, yes, I've been a victim of this, but I, I think I want to go it alone and just kind of figure out things on my own, what do you say to that person? We never try to force anybody into anything. And if they want to do that, then we're perfectly happy letting them do that. Sometimes, for instance, in a sexual assault, it may not affect you until several years down the road. Then you start having trouble sleeping. You have trouble with your appetite. If you're in school, your grades start suffering. You might not be able to function at work well. And these are things, uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, that shows up later And then they may decide at that time that they do want help to go through this and they don't want to go it alone. And so that stat you you shared earlier about the amount of people that are abused in the state of Texas was pretty amazing. Is there anything else that maybe is a misconception about the sort of work you do that you often tell people and they go, wow, that's interesting? Possibly people think that we do see mostly women. But we do see a lot of men. And I think it's harder for a man to admit that he has been victimized. Perhaps he thinks that that shows a sign of weakness, but it doesn't. When you visualize who are the people coming into you, you think about women, but you don't often think about men. Last year, we did about 160 interviews of children that came into either the Waco office or one of our two satellite offices. We also did about 70 medical exams of these children. And the hospital exams that we did, this is the most we've had in a long time, but we did 199 exams in the hospitals. So I'm not sure 
if people are, as we get our name out there and let people know that we're here to help, then they're reporting more, or if it's just that there are more instances, more, you know, whatever. But we can tell from our numbers that people are beginning to use our services more. You mentioned earlier about when you have children come in that you not only have services for them, but also for their parents, how to talk to them about it. That's got to be a really difficult thing for a parent who maybe was not aware that was going on and now they have to deal with that situation. It is, especially when if someone has uh, that had your trust has betrayed you. Maybe it was uh, someone at your church or at a school or something or a neighbor or even a family member. It's so difficult for these parents. We even have a program that our Children's Advocacy Center program director, Dr. Carrie Berkeley, spearheaded some curriculum that we use at the agency, and it's called LIFT, Learning Initiatives Following Trauma. And this is specifically for parents that have two children that where one has acted out on the other, perpetrated on the other. And if you can just imagine what these parents are going through because they're aching for this child that has been hurt, but also for their other child that has been acting out like this. That's interesting. Currently, kind of the political climate and stuff going on, there's a lot of talk about the Me Too movement or, or the Time's Up. Has that changed things since you started with this sort of work? It doesn't change the way we treat anyone mm-hmm. because when they come to us, if they've been sexually assaulted and they're coming to us for help with that, then we treat them all the same. And the only thing about this, this campaign, Me Too or Time's Up, we, anything that gets the word out there, that there are agencies such as ours that are there to help you, you do not have to go this alone, that's what's important. And, you know, recently there have been incidents all over the place that have brought attention to these types of crimes, and we've tried to market our name because most people don't know we're there or what we do, if they do know we're there, but we want to let the community know that we're here to help. Do you see maybe the stigma kind of coming down a little bit more? People are are willing to say, you know, I don't want to live in the shadows. I want to get help for my issue. I want to get out of this situation. I hope so. I think so. But um, it's going to take people standing up and speaking out like they have been lately. Non-reporting or unreported cases of abuse. We have any statistics on that? We do have non-report sexual assaults. And they're included in that total number of the exams that we did last year. Now, what we do is if someone comes in and they do not want to report to the police, then the exam and everything is exactly as it would be if they were reporting. Then the evidence, the rape kit, everything goes to the Department of Public Safety Crime Lab, and they keep it for two years. This person has the right during that time to change their mind and say, I do want to report. But until they do that, it's not a, considered a crime. So unless they're reporting, we can't help them with crime victim compensation paperwork or anything like that. But we're, we've got the evidence. If they're not ready to report, then that's the best thing to do because then you have time to think about it and they can change their mind. When they first are assaulted, even when they go to the hospital, It's so overwhelming for them, and they're getting so much information thrown at them all at once. So some people just need that time to step back and think about it. Okay, and the ones who uh, come forward that 
uh, don't want it reported to the police. The, the, those are adults. Those, those are not minors. Absolutely right. It is mandatory to report child abuse. Right. What about people who have waited so long that there's really not a prosecution that can be had, but they've never reported, but they, they decided they need help somehow in counseling? Would they seek you out? Could you help them? Yes. They can call our front desk and talk to the client services specialist. She will set them up with a case manager. The case manager will interview them, find out what has happened, what they're feeling, what they want help with, and then that case will be staffed with our counselors. Now, and do then you, do you ever have that happen? Oh, yes. Is there some type of uh, consistent theme about why, after all these years, they would decide they want to report? Is it they're having difficulty emotionally? I think that's it. I really can't say for sure. I'm not a counselor. But uh, from my experience, it has been to those that have maybe something has triggered a memory. That, and, for instance, like I said a while ago, with the trouble that you might have at work or sleeping or whatever, then they decide they need help. Yep. Now, from a previous conversation that I've had with you, it seems like uh, you told me that you have been the executive director for many, many years. No, I've been at the agency for 18 years. Well, that's many, many <laughs> years. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> I, I actually have, uh, this is my fourth role at the agency, and I've been executive director for three years now. Okay. And so, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and the reason I ask that is uh, because to do something for 18 years, that is very challenging, it, what you do. Why do you do it? Because it makes me feel good to think that we're helping someone. And our staff is so compassionate, and I love to see them help these people. And I wrote a letter recently to some of our stakeholders, and I started it by saying that I'll never forget the small child that mm. looked up to me with a badly bruised and swollen face and said, the bad man hurt me. It's a true story, and it, there are things like that that you just can't get out of your mind. And okay. the only thing to do is to help. How do you protect yourself from uh, personally from, from getting so immersed in these stories that you hear and that you see that you're, that you're able to do your job? I don't personally hear that many of the stories, okay. but for our staff that do, we want them to go through uh, debriefing with other staff. If they feel like they need counseling, we encourage that. We have an employee assistance program where they can get some free sessions of counseling and they can get unlimited telephone counseling free. We do lots of activities to help relieve stress. We have a grill. We, and we have grill day at least once a quarter. We go on retreats. I've even had a, a, a friend come in and do chair massages one day. So we try to do a lot of self-care things. Mm -hmm. Do you see after the counseling, people go on and years later, you learn about how they have been doing? Do you see many successful stories? We do. Um, the counselors or case managers sometimes get letters from um, someone that we have seen there. And they talk about a lot of times how they went on to be a productive member of the community. They've, they've gotten a job that they always wanted and they're, uh, they're successful or um, that they're able to live their life without having fear. One of the things too that I really like is that our staff works really hard 
to get our families adopted at Christmas. And we get lots of stories and letters from them saying, you know, my children wouldn't have been able to have Christmas if it weren't for you all. And so things like that we keep track of. And, and uh, those are our success stories. Are there any specific stories, obviously leaving out the, the uh, details of the person, but any stories that stick out in your head where you were like, this is really why I do this? Mainly the ones that hurt me the most are the children. Mm-hmm. You hate to see them. Uh, any child taken away from their family, but there are those that we have seen where they've been removed, and maybe they've been placed with a grandmother or a grandfather, an aunt or uncle, and you watch them and see how they do flourish, and that is a success story. There was uh, one incident where a child needed to be interviewed while that child was in the hospital, because they had been injured by, we suspected they had been injured by a parent. Mm. And we wanted to make sure that that interview was done and before they were released from the hospital and sent home so that they would, if they could be taken to somewhere safe. But, um, but even the men and the women that come in, they've been traumatized so much too. And it's a complex trauma, and, you know, they, the PTSD from it is just so bad that any time you see these, uh, and, and we can see the improvement in them. We hear, you know, someone will say, oh, I'm, I'm testing better or, or I'm whatever. The Advocacy Center is part of the Heart of Texas Human Trafficking Coalition. Last year, the coalition recognized and served 90 victims or survivors of trafficking. And the age range on those 90 was age six years to 58 years. Wow. So you've still got a small child here that is being held in either, you know, some sort of slavery. And it's crazy to think about, you know, we live in central Texas and think of it as a pretty safe community. And and you look around at, you know, the neighbors around you. And this is just going on behind closed doors and people can't see it, but it's there. It is there. I've heard it said that when people or receiving counseling, uh, one of the things that uh, needs to happen is they need to exchange the lie that they're believing for the truth. And I'm just wondering about the circumstances you're presented with. There has to be many situations where people come in believing something that's just not true about the situation. And so they, they have to uh, be told the truth and, and believe the truth. Can, can you give us some kind of... Uh, example of that. Absolutely. They think that they've done something wrong. They're to blame. It wouldn't have happened if they hadn't been where they were, were worn what they were wearing, whatever. But there is that doesn't excuse the fact that someone has assaulted them. So yes, we do have to work hard sometimes to get them to get past the, mm-hmm. the guilt. And all the, also that somehow this uh, experience defines who they are as a person. Right. And it doesn't. It's just part of their life, and it's going to take them a while to come to grips with that. But it's, it's a chapter in their life, and they have to, to learn that it's not going to define their future. It's just part of their past. Mm-hmm. And so they go on to... Uh, they go on to a happier life. Hey, I, have a, I have a quick question <laughs> that uh, it, it always interests me, and sometimes it's not clear-cut, but... Uh, you know, we interview a lot of people that do a lot of different things to help others. 
uh, and generally they have something in their background about why it draws them to help that particular segment of people. And so I'm just wondering, why is it that you feel like you're drawn to help this type of group? Strictly an accident. Okay. I had a job that I really was not happy and a friend of mine said, you have choices. And she worked at the advocacy center at that time and said, I want you to come over here. We have an opening. Apply for the job. So I did. And I've just loved it ever since. And I don't, I don't know what, what really caught my interest. It's amazing. We have the Waco Police Department's Crimes Against Children unit with us. They, you know, having them around, the detectives, and watching them work, and seeing how they are with victims, and it's just amazing to me. So, and mm. I know that there are other agencies in town that help victims, and I think it's just great what all of them are doing. Okay. Do you see any hope? You said you're seeing more more people. Is there any hope for Waco, or do you, are you seeing hopeful signs at all? <laughs> I think it's hopeful. We have to think it's hopeful. But uh, actually, I think the crime is going down in Waco, according to the statistics. Mm -hmm. And again, we just don't know if these these types of cases are being reported more. I think that's probably what it is. People are just feeling more comfortable coming forward and talking about what has happened to them. I had the pleasure of getting to tour your facility this summer and uh, I felt like when I was inside there, I felt it was a very safe, inviting place. Is that something you guys try hard to create? Yes, that is exactly what we're trying to create, a safe haven for people to come, especially with the children. You probably noticed the murals on the walls mm-hmm. and child-friendly rooms, things like that. A children's advocacy center, the, when ours first started shortly after I started working at the agency, and it was a pretty new concept. And it was meant to be a place, a safe place for a child to go and to tell their story. They would be with an interviewer in one room, and then there would be another room with a two-way mirror or video equipment now that we use where you've got whatever law enforcement agency asks for that interview. There's a representative in there from their unit. There could be someone from Child Protective Services, one of our case managers, whomever is involved in that case, and they're watching that interview. And they can ask the interviewer, well, you know, check and see what they do about this or what they think about that. We have to be very careful. These interviewers go through lots of training so that they don't ask leading questions. Hmm. This is to help gather that evidence. And it's supposed to be so that a child only has to tell their story once used to you know they might have to they'd go to a school counselor maybe and then to the police or to the DA's office and all these different places and so then this is why they started the CACs we do now have cases though where a child might have multiple interviews for instance some of the trafficking victims if they're taken from one jurisdiction to another even here in in our own town then they would have more than one interview but most of the time the children only have one I would think it would be difficult f- to interview children because they're very impressionable in the moment. They may be, you know, excited or tired or scared, and they may say things a certain way. So you have to be very careful about that. Yes, and you do get them. That sometimes they won't talk, and we don't force them. Sometimes they want to keep on talking forever, and they love it. But it, it, it's just interesting to hear 
what these precious little minds are saying. The day I was there, you guys were sorting stuffed animals that you had gotten from a local church to give to people. So I, th- I thought that was a good way. You probably I could see one of those kids who's scared and feeling alone. He can come into a room and, and have a stuffed animal and feel a little bit better. Right. We don't do that until after their interview because we don't want to say to them, hey, if you come talk to us, ah, we're going to give you this toy. Yes. But they do get to go and pick out a toy. But those uh, stuffed animals are also there for adults. It would be amazed at how many adults want to hold on to something mm. that they can squeeze or, or just hug or whatever while they're telling their story to a, a counselor. Have you all ever used uh, therapy animals, therapy dogs? We haven't, but we have thought about it. Therapy dogs or comfort dogs, either one. Yeah. They visited us on occasion, and we would love to have one, but we just haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Yeah, well, the reason I asked the question is leading into the next about uh, volunteers. I'm scratching my head about how you might be able to use volunteers. So how is that? The main way we use our volunteers is the hotline advocates. They are volunteers. They carry the, we have a 24-7 crisis hotline, and the volunteers carry the hotline after regular business hours. And they, they are the ones that go to the hospitals during the exams. But a lot of our advocates are students that may be there for one semester or two semesters. We really need uh, community people that can stay for a longer period of time, but we always need hotline volunteers. Okay, so when you say you need community people that can stay for a longer period of time, how long and what would they do? Well, they, they would do. They would carry that hotline, the phone, and just answer the hotline. Okay, you're talking yeah. about specifically regarding the hotline. Right, regarding the hotline. Okay. And uh, it would just, they would, anybody's going to burn out on something like this, but right. I think, but we would just like to get more of the community involved. Yeah, any other thing that they can do? We can always use a, uh, someone to help in the marketing field mm-hmm. with our development specialist. We have trouble... You know, if you're going to come and volunteer there, you're going to have to go through a background check and all of this and, and um, sign the confidentiality oaths and um, just that sort of thing. So a lot of people don't want to do that if they're just going to do a few hours and then that's it. We are going to be moving into a building that is twice as large as the one we're in. And Excellent. we're going to be needing volunteers probably to answer the phone maybe do some office work, things of that sort. Right now we have one waiting room, and it's for the Victim Center and the Children's Advocacy Center, and it can get pretty crowded and pretty rowdy at times. Mm. And it's not good for the counseling clients. So when we get into the new building, we will have two. And right now we don't have a receptionist or uh, for that Victim Center side. Mm-hmm. The interns will be up there, and um, they're not there all the time. But, yeah, we could definitely use a volunteer to help with that. Mm-hmm. So where is the new location? It is 3312 Hillcrest. It's about a block from the police tower. It used to be a medical center. There's still a phone, a phone store and a pharmacy there. But the Crimes Against Children unit, are going to get to stay with us, and they'll have. They're going from actually 800 square feet to 3,788. Wow! <laughs> they have detectives that are sharing offices, and they're all going to have their own offices. They'll have two vacant offices to allow for growth. We have staff that are all that are sharing offices as well, and we're going to have everybody will have their own office. 
when we first were approached by Charity Champions, that was the one thing, you know, Beige kept saying, tell us something you need that you really want. I kept saying, we want a building. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we would have liked for somebody to walk up and say, hey, I'll pay for you a new building or I'll give you a building. And that didn't happen. But the There are so many people in the community right now that have done so much to help us get into that building Mm. that it's just incredible. So, And I think a lot of that had to do with Charity Champions. So we we mentioned the volunteering efforts and stuff. Is there any other ways beyond the building? Can people give to you monetarily, things like that? Oh, yes. We'll always take money. (laughs) (laughs) We like money. No, No, um, we, you know, our funding goes up and down. And when you're Everything is funded by grants or mostly by grants. Staff are funded by grants. If you lose one or one decreases, then, you know, you've got to go out there and try to make up for it in another way. So, yes, we can use funds. We, uh, one of our grants that came in this year uh, was $21,000 less than it was last year. Hmm. So we definitely can use donations. And if somebody wanted to donate or get in touch with you guys, how would they do that? We have a website, www.advocacycntr.org, and there is a way to donate through the website, whether it's giving a monetary donation or anything else. You can also find paperwork for being a volunteer on there. Do you guys have any fundraisers or anything throughout the year? Yes, we do. The last couple of years, we had bingo, purse bingo in Hill County. They wanted to do something there. And it was such a great success that some of the ladies wanted to do one in Waco. So they did one in Waco on December 3rd, and it was a huge success. So those are our fundraisers that we have. So be on the lookout for more bingo in the future? That's right. The next one is August 18th and in Itasca. You mentioned earlier that you, you say it's difficult for people to, to find you and understand what you do. Is there anything that you could say on a podcast that would help people maybe (laughs) understand it more? Our name is long. I think that makes it difficult for people to find us sometimes. And uh, unless you need our services, you're not going to start looking, really. And so you may never know we're there if you never need us. But uh, most of the clients are referred by police, so you can always find out about us that way. Look under the A's, under advocacy, and we're there. And We also have satellite offices in Hillsboro, Mahia, and Fairfield. So we have counselors. We do everything in the counties except the medical exams. So we have case managers, counselors, and forensic interviewers that go to the counties. So let's pretend right now you're speaking directly to somebody who really could use the services you guys have and has, for whatever reason, decided not to seek those services. What would you say to that person? I would say... I respect their decision, but I encourage them to seek help, especially the counseling, because it's difficult to overcome any of these atrocious events that have happened to uh, victims, but it's easier if you have, as they say, it takes a village. If you've got a support group, someone you can talk to, especially if you're feeling any type of, if you think you might want to hurt yourself, to harm yourself, then please, please seek help. And a good start if they are timid, maybe the hotline? Yes. Imagine the hotline and someone calls in, what, what would they expect to hear? Someone says, hello, 
How does that conversation go? <laughs> well, they're going to answer the advocacy center. Okay. But these uh, advocates go through 40 hours of training. They do 30 hours of classroom and then 10 hours of following other advocates in the hospital or whatever. And they're trained even to know what to do if someone, if they get a suicidal caller. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get someone that's very kind and compassionate and wants to know how they can help them. And then they will, if if we can't help them, they have a whole list of places that we can refer the callers to. Okay. And the phone number is? 1-888-867-7233. That's our toll-free hotline. Well, thank you very much for coming in today, Barbara. This is very insightful, and I hope everyone checks you out and learn a little bit more about your services. Thank you. I appreciate you having me here. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment and rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org nominate. You can also find more information on this podcast and all Charity Champions at charitychampions.org. And of course, tell all your friends. We'll see you next time.